Hello and welcome to the Bitten Word Podcast. I'm Christine. And I'm Ashley. Firstly, I want to say thanks for uh, sticking with us through our last episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to it and I'm like, Astoria like totally ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can hear her in the background a little bit. And I had a bunch of little places where it was mostly just her. So I cut that. So it sounds a little rough because it's kind of weird when it cuts. I'm like, we had to like come back and start over. So it's like. Well, there's still, but, like, a lot of little bits where you can definitely hear her, like, screaming. Well, um, the best part is, like, at the end of the episode when you can hear her tiny little music, like, in the background of the <laughs> whole thing, <laughs> whatever she was watching. Man, she's just, yeah. So, and then it was, like, really echoey, too. And so, so while it was fun for us to be together, obviously, it's, like, a detriment when it comes to recording. Yeah, our audio is way better this way. Yeah. Because um, we don't have, like, a studio. Yeah. Um, so thanks for coming back. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm happy this week we're going to be talking about a book called The Interpreter of Maladies by Jhumpa Lahiri. Um, partially just because I'm excited we get to eat Indian food. <laughs> yeah, right? Like I, I love, love Indian, Indian food. food. There's no good Indian food in San Antonio. There's so much good food and none of it is Indian. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you get you get the good Tex Mex, so you can't have That's everything. True. I guess. <laughs> um, so we read this book in my book club, um, and I'll I'll give you three guesses as to who recommended it. <laughs> <laughs> me, me. <laughs> it was it was Nikki. It was Nikki. <laughs> um, so, Interpreter of Maladies is a short story collection. Um, it's Jhumpa Lahiri's debut work, and it received a Pulitzer as well as other awards. So that's like what's her really... debut? Yes, this is really wow. impressive. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, yeah, and actually, she she sounds like she's just very impressive all around. She has received a lot of accolades for her writing, um, but as I don't know if she still lives there, but I know that at least for a long time she lived in Rome, and she started releasing books in Italian. Like she wrote hmm. them in Italian. Wow. Which is like, I like it's, I feel like it's one thing to have like, to be able to learn a language later in life and have like, you know, be able to have a passable conversation, but it's another to be able to like write in that language. Yeah, you know? totally. That was when I decided I didn't want to be a French major anymore. <laughs> oh, really? <'Cause> <laughs> when they were like, French? you will have to read books in French and then write papers in French. And I was like, never mind. <laughs> So coming into this, I was skeptical because <clears throat> last year I read two Pulitzer winning books and I hated one and was really wishy-washy on the other. Um, and then I had also read two other short story collections last year and it was the same kind of thing where I really hated one and the other one was just really hard to get through. <laughs> so I was like, I wanted to try it, you know, and Nikki said it was really good and her recommendations are usually good, but I was like a little on the fence. Um, yeah. Short stories. I, even though when I read a short story by itself, I'm usually like, Oh, that was a good story. But for some reason, I never want to read a collection of them. I want it to be like an isolated event where I read one short story and it's awesome. And then I go on to do longer stories. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. I did take, I took a class in college that was like a short story class. And I remember that was fun because we would do that. We would just read one. Right. And then we and then you talk about it. 
yeah. analyze it and write papers about it and stuff. And so that was nice. And so we did read a lot, but I, I really like the model of short stories because I think, I feel like there's a quicker payoff typically, you know? Yeah. So I just, well, usually with short stories, there is a payoff. Like, yeah. yeah, like it's not like you get to the end and you're like, oh, well, that was anticlimactic. It was exactly. like, usually yeah. indeed, it's like really good. Yeah, because that happens a lot with books, right? Where it just kind of turns into a long lyrical passage of someone's life, but like nothing happens. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like that's true. Like with short stories, a lot of times, like you kind of get to the point and then, you know, you like, yeah, you feel like there was a reason for having read it. But yeah, so this collection, I felt like I really liked it. I don't love all of the stories. They don't really all like capture my attention but there were a few that kind of struck me that i really loved um and my favorite one is the one we're going to be talking about today um there's so much food in this book and there are a lot of really wonderful stories you could get into but that would take us all day and yep. would be more than we could eat so we're zeroing in on just the second story in the book called when mr prezada came to dine um so jumpa lahiri is an American author and a daughter of parents from Bengal uh, who emigrated to England. Uh, Jumpa was actually born in England but grew up in Rhode Island and considers herself American. Um, so this collection as well as a lot of her other novels focus around the experience of like Indians living in the United States and their families and all of the things mm -hmm. that come with that and it's a strong theme that we'll see in Mr. Prasada. Um, also, if you if you don't know who Jhumpa Lahiri is, um, you may know her as the author of The Namesake. Uh, oh, yes. That's yeah. one I hear thrown around a lot. Yeah, that um, I've never read the book, but I've heard it's really good. But they did. They made a movie out of it um, probably like 10 years ago. OK, so we're going to do our summary here. So the narrator, Lilia, is remembering when she was 10 years old in 1971. And Lilia was born in America, but her parents are from Calcutta. And she remembers a man who came to eat dinner with them almost every night, Mr. Prasada, though she doesn't remember when he started coming or when he stopped. But Lilia's parents had a habit of running through the phone book and looking for anyone with recognizable surnames so that they could have friends like themselves. And that's why he started coming to dinner. They started inviting him. Um, Mr. Prasada is in the U.S. for a year on a grant to study botany, and he wrote and to write a short book of his findings. Um, but while he was in the US, a war broke out in Pakistan. Um, so we're given a small history lesson here. And I spent, a, honestly, when I was like writing the script and researching this, I spent most of my time reading about this because it's, I feel like it's really complicated and kind of hard to understand. Yeah, so I apologize. Is, I think. Yeah, especially the way it's, it's, it's explained in the book. I think is a, it makes it confusing. And so I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but this is as far as I was able to understand it <laughs> with my limited amount of time of research. So um, in 1947, India gained its independence from Great Britain, but it was split into Hindu India and Muslim Pakistan and people migrated from one place to the other. And there was a lot of fighting between mm -hmm. the Hindus and the Muslims. Um, There's a Doctor Who episode about this, just in case anybody cares. There is. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I told you about it. That in in the first Jodie Whittaker season, um, they go like right when that's happening, and they have like a Hindu. Uh, I think it's a Hindu woman and a Muslim man oh, who are wanting to get married. Um, but this is happening like 
right when they're splitting the country and there's a lot of hate and yeah so it's actually a good episode hmm, okay i do remember you told me about that i just forgot um Pakistan was split into West Pakistan, which is modern day Pakistan, and East Pakistan, which is modern day Bangladesh. And so Bangladesh in 1971, which is when the story takes place, began fighting for independence. And the Pakistani military came in and performed what became the Bangladesh genocide, where they killed a lot of uh, Bangladeshi nationalists. And so this resulted in a war that lasted for about seven or eight months until West Pakistan surrendered. And the war is the setting for this book or for this story. So this political unrest and this war is unfolding during the months when Mr. Prasad is coming to dinner. And we learn that his family is still in Bangladesh and he hasn't been able to get in contact with his wife or his seven daughters. And he has no idea if they're even alive. So every night, Mr. Prasad and Lilia's family watch the news to keep tabs on the situation that's unfolding in Pakistan. And every night, Mr. Prasad also brings candy to Lilia and she saves them in a box in her room and eats a piece periodically. But as she begins to learn about his family and his country, uh, she begins to eat one piece every night and she lets them melt on her tongue and she slowly chews them as she says a prayer for his family and eventually Mr. Prasada is able to go home and he's reunited with his family as it turns out that they were with relatives in a different part of the country and were able to ride out the moor safely. Um, so we have the food in this one um, kind of comes from a couple different places so I'm going to read you um, two different passages. So the first one says, it made no sense to me. Mr. Prasada and my parents spoke the same language, laughed at the same jokes, looked more or less the same. They ate pickled mangoes with their meals, ate rice every night for supper with their hands. Like my parents, Mr. Prasada took off his shoes before entering a room, chewed fennel seeds after meals as a digestive, drank no alcohol, and for dessert dipped austere biscuits into successive cups of tea. And then the other passages, as soon as they were seated, my mother appeared from the kitchen with a plate of mincemeat kebabs with coriander chutney. Mr. Prasada popped one into his mouth. So the second one is there just because we're making mincemeat kebabs and chutney. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but there's not a lot there as far as like substance. The other one, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about why that is so important. But in this story, we see so many themes, and I like want to talk about them all, but I have to pare it down. So firstly, <laughs> uh, let me say the title of the novel, Interpreter of Maladies, comes from one of the stories of the same names, where we see a guy in India whose job it is to interpret for patients at a medical clinic. He says that many of them don't have words for the pain they're experiencing, so it's his job to translate it in a way that makes sense for the doctor. I need one of those. <laughs> I'm like, this hurts. And Brett's like, how does it hurt? And I'm like, I don't know. It just hurts. Yeah. Like, it's not, I don't know. What does dull pain mean? What is stabbing? I mean, stabbing, I guess is a little more obvious, but like, is it aching or crampy or like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So as such, he is an interpreter of maladies. Um, this whole collection, I feel like is so full of emotional pain and hurt and of like so many different varieties. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's Jubilahiri is the interpreter of these people's afflictions. And I really love that. So many of the emotional struggles had in these stories come through 
cultural identity. So for us, and I think for like a lot of white people, I think the struggle with cultural identity can be hard to understand. So like for me, I was born and raised in the U.S. and I've never lived anywhere else. My DNA literally says 100% European. Yeah, Um, very, very white. (laughs) And while I do have DNA that's Choctaw um, that we can trace, and apparently this is a new one. I have DNA that's Inuit. Um, I've never experienced those cultures or lived them, so there's no way that I can claim them. And the same for even like my Swedish and and English ancestry. But think about like Jhumpa Lahiri, you know, her parents are from Calcutta. She was born in England, but she was raised in the United States. And when you've lived in these different places and are raised with different cultural norms and religions and holidays, and all of them are competing for your time and attention, and you're participating in them all the time, I feel like it can be hard to choose just one. And for people like me who are only one thing, you know, we can sometimes expect people with multiple cultural influences to just choose one, especially if it's like really apparent in the way you look. Um, but I think it's really jarring and difficult for people who have multiple. Well, I don't know if I had the option to have more holidays, I'd be like, I take them all (laughs) every holiday. I will celebrate. (laughs) Recently, um, this year during AAPI month, um, they, I saw a post where they had all of these different like mixed race AAPI celebrities, um, talking about, I guess their experiences with like cultural identity and some, and stuff like that. And one of them was Danny Pudi, who I know he's in a lot of different things, but the thing I know him from is community. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. I didn't really know his name, but for some reason that face came to my mind. So yeah. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So he's Abed in community. Um, and in like, so in community, He's just like the Indian kid. Like they are always talking about him as being Indian. And in real life, Danny Pudi, his father was Indian and his mother was Polish, but he grew up in a Polish community. And he said his mother and his grandparents and everybody else only spoke Polish. And so he said at home, he was Polish. And that was how he identified because he was speaking Polish. He was eating Polish food. He was participating in Polish holidays and customs. But then That's it's really interesting. Right? I never would have guessed. But yeah, but then it's like as soon as he leaves the house, he's Indian because he looks. Because that's how he looks, yeah. And so I feel like, you know, and then, you know, there's all the stuff with like Kamala Harris being black and Indian. And people were mad because they said for a long time she identified as like just Indian, you know, but then all of a sudden she's black and it's like, oh, which is it? But it's like. I'm both. I've always been, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like in certain circumstances, people want me to identify as one, like with Danny Pudi, it's like people want me to be Indian because I look Indian, but I'm Polish too. Like my whole life is Polish, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of those struggles like are really apparent in these books. Um, Cause like Lilia, so she's represented as someone who's kind of like removed from like, culture yeah. and time and religion and all of these other things that kind of tether her family and Mr. Perzada to this war in Pakistan. Um, and so like, so like with time, she's telling the story of her childhood from the present day, but she makes a point of talking about how the events unfolding in, unfolding in Dhaka are happening 11 hours in the future because of the time difference. So you have this strange intersection of like past, present and future, whereas yeah. Mr. Prasada is anchored to the time in Pakistan through this pocket watch that he has that he keeps on Bangladesh time. 
Um, and then Lilia is also a daughter of Indian parents, but was born in America and is fully Americanized. And you have Mr. Prasada, who was considered Indian for part of his life, and then Pakistani, and then Bengali. He's constantly evolving when Lilia, you know, while Lilia is like torn between these two. And we see mm -hmm. Lilia fully immersed in like American culture, participating in Halloween, and learning about the American Revolution, but like eating Indian food at home and being taught about Indian partition and the war at Pakistan. Mm -hmm. Lilia is also never shown practicing any specific religion though it's assumed that her parents are hindu but we know that mr prasada is muslim and this is really important here and one of the biggest influences when it comes to the food so through the war and the fighting in the 40s um like now we're seeing that if they lived in india or pakistan it would be hard for them to eat together because of their religious differences but here they're able to eat together and they're able to mourn and worry and in this sense the food is very much about community like it is mm -hmm. in the other books we've talked about but it's also very much about like bridging divides and bringing different sides together um and we can see that specifically in when Lilia mentions the food that they eat. Like she said, you know, after she learned that Mr. Perzada was it was um, Pakistani, because at the beginning of the book, she calls him the Indian man. And her dad is like, well, he's not Indian anymore, not since partition. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so she's like, well, what is it that makes him so different? And so in that scene, she's like... They, you know, they both, they all ate pickled mangoes. They ate rice every night with their hands. He ate fennel seeds, you know, he dipped biscuits into tea. And so for her, it's a lot of it's like the food. They eat the same food. They do the same things. They you take know. off their shoes that, yeah, that they look the same, which I think is usually how people do look when you, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe especially here in America, because we do have a lot of cultures that live side by side and kind of intermingle, you know, like, I don't know if you can go to another country and have Indian, Thai and Mexican food all in the same strip mall, you know, like, yeah, we, we eat a lot of the same foods as other people. We do a lot of the same things. We have adopted, you know, some of their, uh, cultural things like a lot of their food and they've adopted some of the things that we do and so we look a lot more similar to each other than I guess I don't know it just seems like she's like well I don't get it what's different and sometimes I kind of feel like that about yeah people here yeah and it's true especially like when you look at it from a perspective of like she is like fully Americanized but he is still very like Pakistani or Indian, you know, like right here, we're learning, right, that the lines are really blended um, yeah. or blurred, um, you know, and so it's like he doesn't even seem all that different from herself, you know, even mm -hmm. though she is like this fully Americanized girl. And he totally doesn't get Halloween. Yeah, he doesn't. That's yeah. really cute. When he he's like, "Why is there a big orange vegetable on your porch?" You know? yeah. <laughs> um, and then he comes in, and she, you know, tells him like that they're gonna carve the jack o' lantern, and he helps them. And I I really like that scene. That's really sweet. And then and I like it too because she's like, "Our parents decided we were old enough to go trick or treating by ourselves," and he's like, "Are you sure they're gonna be okay?" You know, and he yeah, like he's so worried. Yeah. Um, 
And so, like, that's another reason I like this book is because I just, I like him. He's really sweet. And he's always bringing her the candy. And he's like, well, the of the house. I mean, it's kind of like, like, he has seven daughters that he doesn't know where they are. So it's like Lilia is his surrogate daughter for the time being. Yeah. He's treating her like he would treat his own daughters, bringing them candy, worrying about her, you know. Well, that's true. I hadn't thought about that because I did wonder about these scenes like where she says it's her job to like take his coat every night and she said there's a couple of times where he'll like you know put his hand under her chin or like touch her throat or something and they just seem like these very like yeah paternal like gestures um mm -hmm. even though they don't really know each other but that's probably what it is is that he's missing his daughters right he's got yeah. seven, and you know he just like he needs an outlet for that and and wants somebody you know to kind of fill that role while he can't be with them yeah but yeah so so yeah so it's kind of like the food here is the thing that sort of like proves him to be the same as her parents even though like geopolitical politics you know has declared them different the other part of this is is her ritual with the candy so she put the candy in the box in her room and she says that the box was the only memento she has of her grandmother so her grandmother kept ground areca nuts and she kept and she ate them after her morning bath um and so i like that because it's like she puts this candy and it's always like americanized candy it's like cinnamon hearts and like white chocolate squares and stuff she puts them in this box and i feel in the box is like the one physical remnant of like her indian heritage that she has mm -hmm. in her room right and so it's kind of like you know she takes this candy she puts it into this box and then she begins to eat one piece every night while she says this prayer for her family and or for his family and it's like they're you know she's not religious and she says this is the first time she's prayed for anything and the mm -hmm. fact that she uses like this candy as part of this kind of like prayer ritual and even though she herself is not religious it's like this is kind of like her version of religion right like the ritual becomes sort of religious in nature as she prays but it's really surrounding the food because like the food is her connection to mr perzada right and she says mm -hmm. like, she doesn't brush her teeth that night because she's afraid it'll it'll wash the prayer away yeah um, and so you know like in this instance the food is also just a very important aspect of you know her relationship with mr brazada and it's part of like one of the only things she can do for him because she has no control right yeah over the situation that's happening with his family and this is like the one way you know that she's able to you know you know and actually now that i'm thinking about it the pumpkin i feel like is you know kind of a link between the two as well because like to her it's like you know she's not going to eat it actually she is going to eat it because they roast the seeds they do they roast the seeds and to her but to her it's just like a holiday thing it's just like we're gonna make a jack-o-lantern but to him it's like this is a vegetable it's a it's a squash it's food you know like why is there food on your porch and so i feel like it's like these different like cultural viewpoints of this mm -hmm. pumpkin and you kind of see how it it serves as a way to bring them together and like merge their cultures but like each of their perspectives on that 
Yeah. I don't know. So yeah. So, so the food in this book is really about like bridging gaps, bringing people together, the blending of cultures, you know, like kind of, yeah, merging the two and seeing the similarities between cultures and people. So we're making chutney. Uh, okay. I first, I gotta say, <laughs> so yesterday, so I went to a store nearby me called India Bazaar, um, because I needed some ingredients and things that I wasn't going to be able to find at like Walmart. Um, and I was standing in line checking out and I was like, you know, just kind of looking around and my mind was wandering. And I was like, I was like, I'm really excited to eat Indian food. And then I was like, wait a minute, tomorrow we're recording for Interpreter of Maladies and I'm about to eat, like, we're going to eat Indian food. That's so funny. And then I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm dying this because of Interpreter of Maladies. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. It's a really dopey moment, but um, so we're we're making chutney. Um, they talk about how they eat coriander chutney and I found a recipe for like three different Indian chutneys and so that's the one I was going to use and I was just going to have us pick whichever one um, because I, I didn't remember it said specifically coriander chutney but I did buy coriander chutney at India Bazaar so I will have that. Um, I'm making that one from scratch for the um, with the recipe. Yeah and I'm oh and for you Americans coriander means cilantro. Yeah. Um, typically the way we use it in the U S is that coriander is the seed. Yes. We call um, it coriander, like ground coriander or something yeah. in the spice aisle. Yeah. But, but the like, fresh leaves are yes. called cilantro, but yeah. in other parts of the world, they'll say like fresh coriander yeah, and they exactly. mean cilantro. We just use the Spanish word for it. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so cilantro and coriander are the same thing, but if you are one of those people who are on the cilantro tastes like soap train. Um, uh, shame on you. I know it's biological and you can't help it, but you're really missing out. I know. I swear it's connected to the liking black licorice gene because everybody in Will's family that hates cilantro also likes black licorice, I think. Ugh. So, I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> That's nasty. Um, but just know that like, coriander the spice i don't to me does not taste anything like cilantro the leaf i agree i don't feel like they taste the same at all i like coriander fine but it doesn't taste the same yeah i think there's a really different flavor there um but yeah uh coriander is really um commonly used in indian cooking um i'm making a garlic chutney um Which sounds like real I, good anything honestly anything with garlic Right? It says garlic and I'm like, I'm in. That's it. <laughs> I so a chutney, if you are unfamiliar, it's a family of condiments and sauces um, used in cuisines, mostly pretty much in India. Um, it's an Indian thing. This is not one of those we've we've appropriated it from like an empire or China. <laughs> yeah. This is just Indian. Um and so apparently it comes from the Hindi word, I'm sorry if I say this wrong, the Hindi word chutney, um, deriving from chatna, which means to lick or to eat with appetite. 
I like mm. I like that to eat with appetite. That just sounds like Yeah. you're hungry and you're like just like gobbling it down. It sounds so good. <laughs> Food always Yeah. Man. sounds so much more fun to eat when you're like really hungry, you know? Yeah. You know, I always imagine chutneys as being a little bit chunky. Um, and Yeah. I think sometimes they are, but a lot of times when I go to Indian restaurants, I feel like they give me chutneys that are kind of on the smoother side. Um, so I don't know if there's like, if anything that you read says what it's supposed to be like. Yeah, I think, well, there's a lot of pictures and it honestly looks like it can be any of the above because it looks So like just like there are sauce. some, yeah, it looks like there are some that are like yogurt based. And so they're a lot smoother and then some that are like chunks of like fruit and stuff. Like mango chutney, which was my favorite. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, I miss Nisha there. Okay. So in, in Florida, we went to this farmer's market periodically and there was a lady there named Nisha who would sell uh, her Indian food. And it was so good. And she was like, she would give you like 50 Amazing. samples before you actually decided what to buy, which was the best. But her mango chutney was the best mango chutney I've ever had. And I was so sad when we had to move and I will never have it again. Oh my gosh. That's Yeah. like, it's the chutney that got away. It's like, It is. <laughs> like the pickles that got away, these garlic pickles at the farmer's market in New Jersey that I will never, ever find again. And were the best pickles I've ever had in my life. Uh, I hate that so much. It's the worst. Um, better to have loved and lost. No, <laughs> have loved want and it lost. now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, let's see. So it says that chutney refers to fresh or pickled preparations indiscriminately. And so That, that's so vague. I know. Like, Okay. It is really big. Um, so yesterday when I was at India Bazaar, um, I I always try to look like I know what I'm doing, so I'm not like the dumb white person in there. Like, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> like when I was looking for my daikon radish, like I know generally what a daikon radish looks like, but I don't buy them often. And so I saw something that I thought was daikon radish, but it said muli, and I was like. I don't see anything else since I looked it up and it was like daikon radish also called muli and I was like okay that's it you know <laughs> but Thank goodness for your phone. <laughs> I know I know anyway yeah when I was in there I I was trying to find green chili paste and then I found what was it it was like green chili pickle and I was like is this the same thing? You know, so I ended up with the green chili pickle because I couldn't find green chili paste. But, you know, so I'm just like hoping this is right. But That's it exactly sounds like why it might I decided be. not to make that one because it was like garlic paste and green chili paste. I was like, I don't know where to get that stuff. So I'm Oh, really? make the other one. The thing is, though, like, you know, it says here, like it can be pickled or fresh. I think, though, the pickled variation of it is, you know, it says, so the pickled ones date back to 500 BC. And I think, you know, the whole point of it was that it was a method of preserving, Yeah. food, you know, just like everything else that is pickled or fermented or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting though, because it says like as greater imports of foreign and varied foods increased into Northern Europe, chutney fell out of favor in Britain, which is so funny to me because it makes me think of that, that meme that's like great Britain literally like plundered the entire world in search of spices and then decided they didn't like any of them. 
Sorry, Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. They eat curries. Yeah, they do. Um, I mean, there is a lot of Indian food-like influence in, like, British Chicken tikka masala is their national dish. Good choice, by the way. Yeah. Um, But I think chicken tikka masala is Indian in the same way that spaghetti and meatballs is Italian. Really? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think, like, chicken masala is not, like, a traditional Indian food, but it's kind of like a, like british food developed by indians like from indian cuisine kind of thing and it just mm. like really popular <clears throat> like indian immigrants who yes. like i like the italian immigrants are the ones that yeah. made the spaghetti and meatballs yeah so it's like yeah it's indian but it's not like i don't think you're gonna go to like you know india and find it like this i don't know like this is just what that sounds like is like they were like oh let's eat some chutney and then all this other stuff started coming in they're like oh we don't actually like chutney i like chutney okay so it is time to try our kebabs and everything else (laughs) there was kind of like a lot in this um so we made kebabs and Mm -hmm. we made um uh, chutney. You made the cilantro chutney, and mm-hmm. I made the garlic chutney. And then we also had like a radish and and spinach, uh, something or other. It's called muli something. It's um, like a curry. Yeah, yeah, like curried radish and and spinach. Um, so actually, something interesting I was reading. So you remember how I said when I went to the store, it was called Muli, the daikon radish? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I looked back at the recipe, the recipe was called, like, had Muli in it, in the title. Yeah, that, I was yeah. actually going to say that when you said that. I was like, well, it says that in the title of the recipe, so. Yeah, which I didn't realize, but I thought it was a little interesting. So in the book, she says that they're frying radishes and spinach. Um, when I was reading through the description on the recipe, she said that her mom, who I, there was no clarification here, but I, I think her mom is Indian living in India. Okay. Um, but she said that her mom, um, was saying that typically at home, they use the leaves from the radish. But that, yeah, and she, and so the girl writing the recipe was saying, I can never find radish with leaves on it. And when I do, they're not very fresh. So I use spinach instead. But not red radishes, right? I mean, daikon radish. radish. Yeah, I've never seen a daikon radish with leaves on it. Mine had leaves on it. It did? Yeah. Oh, fun. I considered using them, but I wasn't certain how fresh they were. And I yeah. had a lot of spinach, so I just used it. Um, but I thought that was kind of an interesting detail. Like, because it makes me feel like in the book that her parents have done the same thing. Where it's like, well, I can never find radish with the leaves on it, so I'm using spinach instead. You know, and so yeah. it just feels like another adjustment they've made moving from India to the U.S. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. Um. But yeah, so, so okay, what did you think? Okay, so I enjoyed the curry, the radish curry. It was, so radishes sometimes, and I'm, I don't eat daikon radish a whole lot, so I don't really know what it's like raw, but they tend to be a little bit like spicy. Peppery. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, but I feel like it was toned down because it was cooked kind of until it was soft. Um, and so I enjoyed that. I thought it was pretty good. I found myself without a lime today for my chutney. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and I think I put a little too much salt in it. So it ended up being kind of bitter and I, I didn't really like it at all. Actually, usually when I go to Indian restaurants, the cilantro chutney is like one of my favorite things. Yeah. And I really like it, but I don't know if it was the recipe or if it was just the lack of lime juice, or I'm, I'm not sure what it was, but I, I did not really enjoy it. And honestly, I didn't really enjoy the kebab either. Really? No, I, did you use lamb? I did not use lamb. I used turkey, but it had less to do with the like texture and the flavor of the meat because it was so spiced, um, that I feel like the meat didn't really matter all that much anyway. Uh, I felt like they were gritty, like, because there was so much spice in it. Oh, gritty. Yeah. I was going to say, I just felt like it was chunky. Like there were a lot of chunks in it that weren't meat, you know, cause there was onion and there was, um, oh my gosh, I just made these. And I'm like, what did I put? <laughs> um, but they had, I don't know. They had onion and they had mint and cilantro. Oh, yeah, and then, yeah, I guess there was a lot of spice in there. I didn't, I didn't have an issue with it being gritty. So I'm not sure what that was about. <clears throat> but I used lamb and by the time I ate mine, they were a little cold, um, but I really liked the flavors. So I think they would have been really good hot. Um, yeah. My chutney was the garlic chutney. And let me tell you, it called for three quarters of a cup of garlic and it said one head. What? It said one head in parentheses. I used three. That's yeah, there's no me. way. No. So they I must used have giant garlic wherever she is. Yeah. Although I did get one that was like four cloves in one. But yeah, I used three heads of garlic. In Whoa. Three quarters was, of a cup? That's a yes. lot. It was basically raw garlic and spicy. That's like what it was. Like, oh. and the thing is, I'm down for raw garlic. So I actually thought it was pretty good. It came out really chunky though, because so we just got rid of our old blender for um, a Vitamix. But the problem with the Vitamix is that it can like it can't do like really small amounts of stuff. Yeah, and you like, need a food processor. Yeah, which I don't I don't have. Um, and so like mine came out really chunky. And so I think if it had been smooth, it wouldn't have been quite so like raw garlic in your face. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I liked it, but I'm not sure it tasted the way it was supposed to. I also bought a cilantro chutney um, from was it good? the Indian market. Um, I liked it, but I think I wish, I, I wish it had been a little warm. Like I had just like mm. warmed it up for a couple minutes or yeah. not minutes, seconds. Um because it was kind of cold and I felt like it was just weird. Like the temperature, like disparity was strange. Yeah. Um, but I think the flavor was good. I really like cilantro. Um, so I, I, I f didn't have time to make rice. I wish I had made rice. Oh yeah. We had rice. Oh, okay. Um, as far as the curry, I, I liked it. I, I felt like, the radish was a little bit 
bitter like mm -hmm. that was the flavor and it soaked up a lot of my salt so i ended up needing more salt but um for the most part it kind of tasted like potato it was kind of like eating yeah. a potato it was a similar or, texture i really like the flavor of it though mm -hmm. i agree i thought it was i thought it was pretty good yeah um so did you find pickled mango no i couldn't find them okay i did <laughs> They were in um, that Indian store? Yes. Okay, and? and? Uh, I, so this was just not for me. Like, I <laughs> I wonder if I ate it with certain foods or, like, I don't know, ate it a few times if it would grow on me. But so basically, so I think it used, like, a green mango. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, just the rind of the mango. Oh, and then it's like interesting. Yeah, and so then it's pickled, but it's like very, very vinegary. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think it had a, like some other little chopped veggies in there, and so it was like just a very, very strong vinegar flavor, and that's yeah. really all I got from it. And so, like, I wonder if I just was eating it with the wrong thing, or like. You know, if I was eating it with like some really hot rice and like maybe a curry or like like a like a liquidy curry, like mm -hmm. it would be better. But I that was just like I don't know. When I ate it, I would like it kind of made my sinuses explode a little. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I think that in America we don't do pickles the same way as like anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Like when we say pickle, we mean a pickled cucumber and usually it's not much fermented it. even. Yeah. It's just like soaking in vinegary-ness. Um, so like I hear about other things, like I've, I have pickled some other things, just quick pickling, like um, Carrots. summer squash is really good oh, really? pickled. Yeah, uh, green beans, you know. But then there's this whole other world out there of things like that, like the pickled mangoes or pickled watermelon rinds or things like that, that I'm like, I've never seen anything like that for sale here in America. Like nobody does stuff like that. You can do like pickled garlic or something, but I think we're not used to the really strong flavors like that because we don't do a lot of fermented yeah. food here and we don't do real pickling really but yeah but that's all we've got for um interpreter of maladies so we'll post all of the recipes all 10 million of them <laughs> and yeah photos um on our instagram at the bitten word podcast um you can also find them on our twitter at the bitten pod um if you have any questions comments pictures of stuff you've made from the show you can email us at the bitten word podcast at gmail.com uh, and don't forget to join us next week where we're going to be doing the grilled cheese and radish sandwich from magic misfits which if you've never heard of that which like me it was written by neil patrick harris so come for neil patrick harris even if yep. you have no idea what magic misfits is agreed <laughs> <laughs> and and if my like 30 pages of reading or whatever is anything to go off of it's it's kind of funny and it's cleverly written so yes and it's a very quick read as well so until then happy reading and bon appetit <laughs>